Today's sponsor is Audible.com, a leading provider of spoken audio information and entertainment. Listen to audiobooks whenever and wherever you want. Hi, this is Ross Payton here with Roll Blame Public Radio, and this is RPPR episode 64, Adventures in Adventuring. And with me, as always, is Tom Church. This is not my announcer voice, this is just me. This is just you. Just me. Just you. Uh, so anyways, uh, we're back, as we will always be back. We will be here until the end of time, or... You know, our time. I don't know. Um, until yeah, 2012, yeah. Because yeah, of the Mayan apocalypse. At least until December of 2012. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, as we mentioned earlier, uh, in our in the last episode, we'd be talking about, more about adventure design, this time about adventuring and campaigns, uh, designing adventures for a long-term campaign, hence the adventures and adventuring. Um, but before that, let's have a little news. Um, there will be an, uh, a new Ransom project coming up. Not, I'm not quite ready to release it, but I will announce the title. Uh, it will be called Kill Splosion. It's going to be a PvP focus. That's player versus player uh, RPG, a competitive RPG. Uh, it's going to be a rules-light, over-the-top, ridiculous action. I was inspired by this year's Gen Con, where I ran a 10-person game for RPPR listeners and players, uh, whereas winner-take-all, only one man survives in a uh, uh, battle in the shopping mall of Carcosa, uh, Battle Royale. Yeah, you it's, were in... It's not a very good mall. It wasn't. Well, it was very useful for the people fighting in it. There, were, there was much death. And violence. So um, Ian and Violet have been doing some art for it, so you'll get to see it when I have the ransom video up. Of course, our, our group will do it, and you know you know how well our group gets along. Yeah, exactly. There will be much death. Um, so we'll, uh, what, I, what I plan to do with the, the Kill Explosion ransom is uh, the initial uh, ransom will be for the playtest rules, which anyone who contributes to it will get to playtest in it uh, and get to give me feedback on it. Then I'll release it as a free rules light RPG uh, with art and uh, as a PDF. Um, and then uh, if it's popular enough, I'll do future ransoms for expansions, uh, that sort of thing. Um, uh, also, there will be a secondary objective for this ransom that will be to get RPPR a new video camera, one that's a little you know high def and cheap, you know, some one of those cheap little high def camcorders. Because um, there's some video projects we've been bouncing around. Yeah, there are. Um, and we'd like to do them, but we need a little extra cash to do but, them. Because then you're thinking, like, yeah, the, our voices are great, but wouldn't we love to see the doughy bodies? That go we've got with faces it? for radio, as they would say. Yeah. Uh, um, but yeah, seriously, we one of the ideas that we've wanted to do for a while is to. Uh, do a sort of LARP version of Artemis Spaceship Simulator, which is a computer game meant to be land, but it's basically Star Trek if you had six laptops and each laptop was set up to a different station, weapons, and we'd all be playing different And with our group, and every member of the crew happened to be a borderline sociopath. Yeah, we would all take turns at the different roles. Uh, We'd all have costumes. Um, I will use the robot costume from uh, ro- uh, Zombies of the World, episode two, uh, and uh, so on and so forth. So uh, it will be exciting and fun, but we need a camera to do that one that's a little... I do have a video camera, but it's fucking bulky and old and, you know, standard def. And you want to see us in high def, don't you? Yes, you want to, see, you want to see every genetic flaw on our face. <laughs> oh, Tom. Um, it's like, this is my God, I can see every abscess and welt they've had since birth. Um, yeah, so we are, um, 
trying to do that. Um, we're going to um, also, of course, have preview actual play episodes uh, for those of you who contribute. Uh, I'll be doing some paid play test games over Skype for people who contribute. Uh, and there'll be other rewards, too. If there's any particular type of reward you'd like, uh, let me know. Uh, we can work it in. So that's in the works. That will be coming up. Uh, in the next few weeks, uh, so keep uh, keep an eye on that. So totally, yeah. So in other news, uh, Zombies of the World is on sale this month. Buy oh, the book. Yes, it Zombies. Uh, October is uh, Zombie Appreciation Month, and uh, so all the eBooks are two dollars off for two ninety nine PDF or Kindle edition, and the print book is five dollars off. Buy the book. With free shipping, so thirteen ninety five. So uh, go to zombiesofthworld.com. Buy the and, book. Yes, and buy the book. Um, so in other, and finally, um, this episode, as you heard earlier, is being sponsored by audible.com. Uh, and we uh, set up a special URL for you guys where if you go to audiblepodcast.com slash roleplaying, you uh, will get a free two-week trial of Audible. And uh, you can get one credit, which is equal to one audiobook. And, of course, I uh, looked on there. They have Zombie Spaceship Wasteland, which is the Patton Oswalt audiobook we listened to on the way to Gen Con. It was well on the way back, and it pretty much made the trip back. I thought it was. It was, it on, was the, on the way back. Okay, it was on the way back. So, yeah, it was shit was hilarious. So, uh, uh, of course, and you need a credit card to sign up for it. And if you, I'm actually a member of it myself. Okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah and uh, I actually use them to get a lot of the uh, like comedian personal books. That I like most most specifically, I mainly got it so I could get my own copy of America the Book, the audio book. Right from the Daily Show. And uh, easy as hell. Just I had the I had the whole thing in about four minutes. Okay, great. So so uh, it's good service. Yeah. So uh, you've heard it from the man himself, Tom. Uh, it's a good service, and you get two free weeks and one free audio book if you sign up. Uh, so check it out. That's audiblepodcast.com slash roleplaying. So, and they're sponsoring this show. So, uh, for the month, so we thank them for that. Yes. <laughs> uh, so moving on to the topic at hand. So, uh, in this episode, we're going to be talking about adventure design again. Uh, but in this time, we're not going to be talking about style versus substance. We're going to be talking about designing adventures for a long-term campaign, how that's different from a one shot. Now, uh, and, and just sort of some I, things, that, topics that come up when you're doing running a campaign that aren't necessarily apparent uh, when you're just sort of reading the rule book, laying, you know, sketching out ideas and that kind of thing. Um, for me, the, the first thing you have to be aware of um, is that you can't run a game with all the rules if it's a sufficiently complex game. And by sufficiently complex, I mean it comes in a fucking big-ass book, which most RPGs, popular RPGs, come in a fairly large book, you know, a yeah. few hundred pages of material. It's just the industry, that's just the standard. You want a textbook for your game for some reason. Um, that reminds us of college and, yeah. the, and the days when we were still free. Yeah, something like that. Um but you have things, uh, you know, Eclipse Phase, GURPS, uh, Dungeons and Dragons, especially three hardcover books. Um, pretty, I can't think of a popular system that doesn't. I mean, there are obviously the rules light systems, but there's not many that you would actually run a campaign. No, with, so. no, most of the games, most of the popular Wild games talents, you know. that I play, yeah, they come from a textbook. And the thing is, they, they come up with all these rules to cover every kind of situation imaginable in a game. Uh, the thing is, is you can't. As a GM, you can't run with every single rule perfectly according to the rules. You are not a computer, and that's not your strength as a human GM, is not simulating every single aspect of this fictional rule set perfectly. 
And I know there might be some of you like, yes, I do. Well, well screw you. What about monster GMs like you? Well, I don't. Oh my god! I mean, you you've seen have you seen the comments on the actual play site? I break the rules frequently and ignore things, and I am a horrible. Well, I've always, one of the reasons I've why. always said if it makes the game fun, rules maybe are should be broken. Right. So the th- my point, trying to make it a roundabout way, is when you're running a campaign, when you're setting up the adventures for a campaign, you have to sort of. Inf- Pick which rules, what part of the rules you really want to emphasize, and which ones you don't want to emphasize. Now, like, for example, encumbrance. That's a popular rule. That's that's sort of mm-hmm. like most systems, everything from GURPS to D&D. Mm. Um, I don't think Eclipse Phase does, no. but uh, I, I, I may be wrong. I mean, that, that oh, just shows you. Actually, uh, a video game example. Uh, I don't know if you played Fallout New Vegas. Right. Well, uh, no, one of the, uh, the first uh, DLC pack, which was... Uh, uh, the the one where you go to uh, New Canaan and like Zion. Yeah. Uh, when you go, you can only ha- you can only have a, a less than a hundred pounds in your inventory when you go. Right. But again, I mean that's a computer that it can keep track of encumbrance while mm-hmm. emphasizing everything else. You can't now. Now you look at the encumbrance rules. Now are you really going to emphasize these? Or you go like it, dep- well, it depends on what I'm running. Right. Well. When, like there are three major approaches to this. For example, one is to take the uh, R.A.W. rules as written. You know, emphasize them rigidly, like you know, you're a fucking lawyer or a judge. Um, the second one is to only use them if they come up. I.e., mm-hmm. I'm taking my player piano with me into the desert in this <laughs> Western RPG because it was we got it. We we killed everyone at the saloon, and that's worth like a hundred bucks. I'm gonna take the fucking <laughs> player piano. How the <laughs> fuck are you carrying it? I don't care. I, don't I got a horse. Yeah, exactly. The <laughs> horse can carry all this way. Yeah, no. So why is the horse looking at me like that? Yeah, and then the third one is to say fuck it. It's like fine, you take your fucking player piano. You know the magic pocket that that is common in you know computer RPGs where the you know your female barbarian in a chainmail bikini can somehow carry you know eight thousand gold coins, you know uh, fifteen swords, axes, and well, you're well, you're saying to me that it's not normal for someone to carry a a small Fort Knox worth of gold on them. Yeah, and just uh, where are they? Where is she hiding it? That's that's what I want to know. Anyway, um, she'll tell you. Yeah, for a price. Yeah. Um, she'll buy it at a high price. Um, the, so those are the three approaches rigidly, uh, only when it comes up when it's very obvious or just, just blatantly ignore it. Now, and the commerce rules, I'm just using an example. Now, when you take these approaches, this sort of sets the style or the tone of the RPG or the game that you're running. For example, if you're doing a strict survivalist kind of uh, campaign, you want to emphasize the encumbrance rules because you want to make people have to make choices about whether they take this you know, piece of rope or they take this lantern or they take this bit of flint, you know, uh, that kind of like that that heightens the drama because like oh shit this is important this is these are major yeah. decisions I have to make and you know that that also bring up that you realize some things you don't really think about have weight right or they take up space um, and so if that's something that's important to your game campaign you want to emphasize that and you want to design your adventures around that where that that comes up frequently like a classic thing is you know in games where encumbrance is important it's like oh here's a vast horde of fortune. Uh, but because of circumstances, you're not going to have the all the time you need to get what you want. So yeah, you killed the dragon, but all that army of that army of goblins and orcs is right on your ass. How, what are you going to take before they show up and take yeah. the rest of it? So or even if you're free and clear, that's a lot. How you, that's a lot more. That's gold. practically an adventure in of itself. Is yeah. Uh, and never mind the sh- okay. Say you. I swear. Yeah. Say you even have proper transport to get every last piece of gold in that horde back. 
you are now the biggest target on the planet. Right. Which, again, that, that's sort mm-hmm. of emphasizing it. Um, but obviously, if you're doing a standard D&D adventure, you're like... Yeah, you you have your bags of holding your you know uh, and whatnot. So all right, you shovel all the loot in. Let's go. Um, except for the you know the giant adamantium doors that are dragon sized, you can't take them with you because they won't fit in the bag of holding. So that's sort of like only. One I wouldn't even be surprised if players called bullshit on that too. Well, no, they, no. Then they'd be like, "Well, I smelt it. Fuck you. I'll make adamantium bars out of it." You know, I I take out my portable forge and you know do that. So. Um, and then the third one is like, fine, you take the adamantium doors. Fuck it. I don't give a shit, you know, because you can't emphasize every rule perfectly. You can't emphasize every rule equally. Um, and what you rules you emphasize and what rules you don't emphasize sort of inform what kind of adventures you're going to do for the campaign. Um, so, you know, if you want a very political game, you want to emphasize the social rules, the social conflict, social combat, reputation, that kind of thing. If you're doing a very survival game, encumbrance, Fatigue, hunger, thirst, that kind of stuff um, is going to be very important. Um, so that that kind of emphasis, so the first thing in adventure design is you have to think about what you can do, um, what what rules you can actually enforce, and what rules you're going to kind of like not care as much about. Like in Eclipse Phase, Eclipse Phase has, is a very interesting system because it's got a very simple mechanic. You know, it's blackjack. You roll as high you roll as high as you can without going over. You know, mm-hmm. your your skill number on a percentile dice. But the thing I found just playing in this game is that there are so many exceptions. Like, are this in combat, there could be like literally 10 modifiers to your shot roll. Are you moving? Do you have a laser sight? Do How you, far away? The range. Are you wounded? Are you insane? Um, is your opponent behind cover? You know, so there's like, you know, all these different modifiers that can give you bonuses or flaws or bonuses or uh, penalties. On your shot roll. So there's a lot of shit. So what we found is we've been playing through this uh, uh, Eclipse Phase campaign. No evil is that, oh, yeah, we, we I forgot the modifier for this or I did this mm-hmm. wrong. You know. So um, that – and then Caleb sort of run with it. Like one thing Caleb's doing is he's not using the reputation rules as written. He's sort of modifying that we, we often have to burn reputation in order to get the things that we want, which is fine because he's making it a choice mm-hmm. um, because that's a little simpler. Because the rule, the reputation rules as written, a lot of people online are pointing out that's sort of like where the system's broken. If you have really high rep and everything, so you can just keep asking for favors forever and get rich from that. So – yeah. Yeah, I haven't found any group of peers that would do that. Just no matter how much they like me, just give me shit, everything I want forever. Right. Well, I think I mean celebrities. You know, they would give you gifting salons and or, gifting suites. Gifting suites. I'm sorry. So there's that. So you're just not a celebrity, Tom. No. Yeah. I'm not. <laughs> nor are you. No. I. So. Well, I'm not going to gifting suites either. So I'm. I'm just saying. You know, we're not Patton Oswalt famous. So. Um, God bless Pat Oswald. Exactly. So, you know, we're talking about this. I mean, you mentioned while we're preparing the show notes that the White Wolf, uh, you've been in games where people, uh, where the person running it kind of tried to emphasize everything or tried mm-hmm. to do everything perfectly, well, which is kind of, which I, my point is that that's a mistake. You can't use. Well, I will say you could probably do that with White Wolf if you're doing one, one White Wolf game. Like, if you're running a vampire-only game, mm-hmm. I think it's a lot easier. But this game I was in, where I, this example... Oh, yeah, the complexity between two... Yeah, no, everything was allowed. It goes up exponentially. Yeah, everything was allowed, I think, except mummies and demons. This was, wow. like, old. This was a third-ed uh, World of Darkness. This is before Requiem. Yeah. So uh, there were vampires, there were werewolves, there were wraiths. There, And it's... 
and if a lot of those rules, even just through like there are different like, different versions of shape changers, like where spiders and where sharks, even those don't mesh well together, because the rules, though the same, are just different enough in in many places that it's almost a completely different game. Right, um, because yeah, that's the thing. If you emphasize everything, you emphasize nothing. I mean, the player remember as a GM, it's not just your job to adjudicate the rules properly and fairly it's also to make a compelling story and i don't care how smart you are or how good you are at multitasking there is a finet capacity in your brain there's you know so many you know processor cycles uh and, and there's so much memory that lets you uh, uh process different things as a gm i mean um a book i read a while ago is how to make war by james dunnigan one of the things he talks about is uh armies are structured so that individual officers never have more than five command elements at any given time because if you have more than five different squads or battalions or divisions or whatever you start to lose track you can't Mm -hmm. you can't keep up with everything as well so they you just there's only so many complex topics and uh elements that you can keep track of at any given time so that that that's kind of the thing i'm talking about so remember every time you emphasize one thing you're not emphasizing something else and that's a decision that you have to make as a gm and that's fine you just you, you need to think about what you want to do what interests you in this game so um yeah i mean you're talking like the the one thing you don't want to do is get too heavy in the rules i know there's some people that are like hero system and shit like that oh god oh <laughs> May I just take a brief moment? Like I bought that book. Oh yeah. And after an hour reading it, I thought, "Fuck! I don't have enough breadcrumbs to get home." <laughs> I mean, Jesus! When a game that not as I was a game where a calculator becomes an invaluable, like because an, a necessary tool rather than just a help. Yeah. Something's wrong. Yeah. And I like math as probably as much as the next guy, but damn. Yeah, that's a lot. I mean, of and math. to be fair, some people c- accuse of Eclipse Phase of being that, like a character generation being too complex. I mean, we use a spreadsheet for character generation because not that it's like it's not hard, but it's just long because there's a lot of shit to go through mm-hmm. in Eclipse. Phase. I mean, I wrote mine out longhand. Right. Well, you're, you're special. I mean, you're I'm not... very special, Ross. Well, yeah, but when you had to do free pregens for that one shot, you want to do four pregens. And four... no, yes, I totally yeah. use the sp- spreadsheet then. Yeah. Um, because that saves you time, um, and it does a lot of the work for you. So, you uh, uh, um, so when you're when you're designing an adventure for a campaign, you have to think of all this stuff. So that's just before you even start sketching out the adventures. So what happens when you actually like? All right, here's the campaign. Here's the tonight's adventure. What do you do? So you know when I do, I, I've talked about this before. I, I sort of come up with a, the, the 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 sort of ecology where I come up with like here are the main groups, here are the main elements in this little ecosystem. Here's the bad guys, here's the good guys, here's the neutral guys, here's what they're doing, and here's their agendas. And then I describe what the players know, their initial environment, and then I sort of keep track of what they're doing. And then, like, all right, the bad guys would react this way to the players doing. The neutral guys haven't even heard about that, so they're just going to keep on doing what they're doing. And the good guys are going to go try and send them help because they need help from the players, um, you know, for example. Mm. And then I keep, I I sort of, once I develop the initial thing, I sort of, I, I base mine sort of on the rhythm 
of what the players do. The players do something, I react to it. Then I introduce something else, and the players react to that, and it goes back and forth. Now, my problem as a GM is that I get in love with throwing in new shit. Like, I love, yeah, like in the new Arcadia campaign, the Wild Towns campaign, I have, like, right now we're much later than where the actual play is, obviously. And players recently, like, said, oh, you've got like a dozen plot hooks, Ross, that we are trying to deal with. Like, and I'm like, fuck, I have so many other things I want to show about this universe that I've built up in my head that, you know, and you, you're, you're running around put, trying to put out the fires I've already set, and I can't burn everything else down. Well, you, you set a lot of fires. Yeah, I Jesus. Do. <laughs> uh, there are only so many fire extinguishers on Earth. So. That's sort of the thing is a GM, at least I, when I'm a GM, and I'm sure a lot of the listeners out there are the same way, is like, I just want to keep world building. I want to keep adding on. And I want to keep introducing new elements. Like, well, this is what I'm trying to do. This is the theme. So this would happen and this would happen and this would happen. Because like in the initial post I did for the new Arcadia campaign, I described all the shit and I've barely gotten any of the things mm-hmm. I put in the original post. You know, the uh, uh, so... That's kind of my problem is that I, I, I realized you can't just keep adding new elements. You have to finish the shit you've already started. And that follow through is, I think, the real key to a campaign adventure design. You have to finish what you start. That, what, that's what separates a mediocre or bad campaign from a great, you know, a legendary campaign. If players actually get to finish their shit, they love it. I mean, yeah. It, yeah uh, uh, tell me if I'm wrong. I mean, no, 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 no. It's, uh, I mean, we all we all have our things we're doing, and we all. But I don't think I think we would actually be pissed off if we didn't get to finish them, right? Because we've got we've got. Unfortunately, we've now gotten emotionally involved in it. Yeah. So now, like you know, Kyrop's not going to be satisfied unless he can work things out with his son. And if that doesn't happen, then I'm be like, I didn't I didn't succeed. And you know, well, I'm I'm looking forward to Jason and Aaron trying to kill each other. Right. Well, that's. Honestly, that's pretty much every game they're in. So, oh yeah, <laughs> uh, that's the same. I hope Caleb. I, I want to see what Caleb goes. What happens with Caleb's shit? You know, yeah. We all want to see this, and but yeah, we. If it's not done, we're gonna leave that. Like, no, that was great. Except, you know, it's. Well, I mean, like the new world campaign. Do you think that wrapped up well? Oh yes, definitely. Mm-hmm. I mean, everyone, everyone got their shit done. We we essentially did everything we were supposed to, and. I think we pretty much got the best ending we could out of all the endings. Right. Um, and I was pleased because I think I, I tried to wrap up every subplot, and I'm pretty sure I did. Uh, you know, listeners, feel free to cut, correct me in the comments if I missed something. That you, If you listen to the New World campaign uh, and I missed something, uh, please let me know. Um, but... That that's kind of the challenge is because even at the end of the New World campaign, I had I, all these ideas and I was like, oh, I want to do this, I want to do this. I have I have ideas in my notebook that I never got around to because there's just there's always going to be great ideas, especially stuff from other books, you know, RPG supplements, and you know, like oh, this is a cool monster, oh, this is a cool adventure idea. But you can't just keep adding on. You have to finish what you start. Um, I know your players though; they're very kind of leisurely. They like that kind of thing. Well, well it's really we we've, we've game together for so long that. It's, you know, it's, and well, in that group, yeah, actually, in that group, uh, for the first thing I do with them is, you know, they make their characters. Yeah. And when we sit down, when we finally, well, the, okay, well, total design-wise, the first thing I do is I write out the copy on the back of the book. Right. What you're, it's like, what you you can expect, like, like, if you pick up this book or game and read it and or play it. Then I kind of just, I just kind of designed, I designed down from there. Okay. But once it's done and, you know, we're all ready to start, the first thing I says, okay, tell me about your characters. And 
for some, you know, especially some of the, some of the players in our group are not quite as adept at that. Mm-hmm. But with my group, with the other group I run for, it's they really they like to get into it. They still spend fifteen twenty minutes telling me about their character. Yeah, I can't see everyone. I cannot see everyone in our group doing that. So, uh, no, like fifteen twenty minutes is kind of exaggerating. Okay, but ten minutes. They'll okay. spend that much. That, at least, what you get a lot said in ten minutes. Yeah, this is true. And uh, so then, the first session is always that, and then you know a quick intro because. My players also really like if we're going to have a group, a brand new group that we don't quite know each other. They don't know each other yet. They like the meet and the uh, the meetup. And we've gamed together for so long that we really don't have much friction when we, we first meet up. Right. So we get that done. But then the, as soon as that session's over, the next thing I do is take their, the stuff they told me and try to intertwine it with the story I've made. Right. Yeah, I find that they'll go for plot points if they have something personal inv- invested in it. So... um so when you're designing adventures, do you like what are your goals when you're designing adventures for the campaign? Like for me, I have my ideas and I want to see how the players react to them. Like there's subplots if they come up, that's fine. But I never make it a you know like what, what do you do? I I come up with I actually come up with about eight or eight to ten things mm-hmm. that are currently going on that yeah. I will that I will give a hint at, but I always leave it up to them what they do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, if they decide to go this way, then I'd, I just... Well, I, I suppose um, my main thing is, or what I was trying to get at is, do you design adventures more on what you want to do or more... I mean, are you more concerned with satisfying your own desires as a GM to create and see what they do? Or is it more you want to react to what the players have? Actually, with me, it's the, it's the former. Okay. I, it's more, I kind of think of it, and I like to see how they're going to react with the stuff I made. Okay. That's just so, the way I do things with them. So, like, as a percentage, like, how much of the material would you say is, like, totally original main plot or whatever, and how much of it is based on the player's backstories, based on what they do? I'll say the, uh, it's 65% stu- the, everything I made up, about 35% their Player, stuff. Their stuff. Okay. Um, I mean, for me, I, I'm, I'm similar. I think, you know, I do more 70, 30, maybe even 80 of main plot, you know, Um because I, I like the subplots and everything, but it, it just some players in our group, in the main RPPR group, are better about having backstories that synergize. We'll use the mm-hmm. word, you know. I know some people hate that word. Um, with Syn- the main promote, plot, better promote synergy. Yes, yeah, yeah, synergy. Um, I mean, Caleb's really good about that. Like, yeah, he really develops characters that hook into the main plot really well, and it's really easy. To throw his throw his subplots into the main plot, um, some players like you know it depends on the game uh, aren't so good at that you know um, so if they don't have a lot of material written up like I don't really put that much effort into it so mm-hmm. um, I'm just trying to see how the players react to it so of course then the uh, the main thing with an adventure too is you have to think about pacing. Um, and that's the, that's the primary difference with me between planning a one shot and a campaign. Yeah, I definitely. You know, I well, of course, it's obvious, but I the the speed really slows down for me. Yeah, you know, and uh, I generally kind of have uh, I have different plot points, and I have basically I, I give them plot points that if they get enough of, they can actually assemble one of the main plots and go after it. Mm-hmm. So in a campaign, of course, I can do that over. I can space that out over many sessions. One shots, I almost kind of have to give them the whole thing and tell them to go, which has happened before. They, 
they are, and people in my group are a bit slower when it, when it, like, you know, more calm and methodical role playing, really. What, like, yeah, what do you mean, like it? Well, that they're more than happy to just kind of hang out in a location. Mm hmm. You know, like if you know they go in the case of a D and D game, they they're they're going to the city to get you know to get the map that takes them to the Amulet of Yendor. Yeah, they're they can be happy for an hour just hanging out with different people at the tavern and talking with them. Mm-hmm. Even if it's about even if it they don't have really have any really real clues about what they're doing, just any interesting people. And I'll try to. Well, first of all, I will just, when I describe the people in the bar, I'll have at least four or five in my head that I can actually get a, give a name to. And have a voice for right. And so they're the ones that, you know. They're the ones I'll actually describe as like. And there's like there's some humans, some elves. There's a el- human sitting off by the side wearing something. That'll just you know just a little more description so they know uh, this guy actually has he has a voice actor on him. He'll say something to you. <laughs> but no, they're, they're more than happy to do that for almost an hour just right. until they finally uh, just then, uh, oh uh, hey there's our contact. Well like we'll see you all guys later. Yeah. And then, of course, they'll demand that I bring them back later, people right. they met. Um, yeah, our group is a little more plot-focused. They, uh, they tend to, to, to hone in on the, on the, on the action, or I, I tend to keep antagonized. I don't know. What do you say? When I'm no, our group is much more uh, get the job done. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, I mean, we'll also we'll always enjoy the, the road to get the job done. Yeah. And we'll, we'll take advantage of things. Right. Like if, you, if you make the mistake of making an interesting NPC with a voice, yeah. well... I hope you're ready to do that voice for a while. <laughs> yeah, th- this is true. But uh, um, no, but, but yeah, with you, it's pretty much when we're there. Like, okay, let's uh, let's let, let's get to the shit and let's get it done. Yeah. And uh, the more dilly dally we have, the I think the crazier we get. Yeah, this is true. Uh, the player, your group, the group is very rambunctious. Rambunctious. Um, for me, though, the, what the, the interesting thing is, you know, one shot. You have the luxury of knowing. It's going to be a one shot game, like one, maybe two sessions. If it's one of Caleb's games, you know, Caleb's one shots. Ha ha. We made and, fun of you, Caleb. Yes. Uh, take that. Uh, take that Al Qaeda. Yeah. So because, uh, you know, there's going to be beginning a middle and end. It's like a movie. Now with a campaign, you never know when it's going to, it's like TV and you never know when it's going to get canceled you know, to, to use a metaphor kind of obliquely. Mm. Um, because campaigns, they have that problem of you never know exactly how long they're going to last. Um, or at least for me, I, we kind of just, let's or, do it again. Let's or trying do. to juggle too many things at once. Right. Lost. Right. Well, uh, this is true. So, I mean, what about you, Tom? Do you When you start a campaign, do you know how, uh, how many sessions you want to do? Or, I have an idea. It never is that, of course. Well, I mean, like, how, like, give me an idea, by an idea, what do you mean, exactly? Like, I want this to be six sessions long, or I want this to last until the end of summer, or something like Normally, that. it's about five or six. If I have a campaign that I I know where it's going to end, I start, I know where it's going to end, I'll plan about five sessions. Okay. Now, normally, it will come in a little under that, like, mm-hmm. maybe four sessions. So, like, a month of role playing. Yeah. But but then again, there's like okay, like when I started doing the gargoyles game, yeah, I started. I kind of knew I knew where it was going to start, and I had a vague idea of where it was going to end. But that game went on three years because the thing is, well, the thing that happened with that game is I knew where I wanted it to end. But then I guess started getting all these kick-ass ideas of where of another ending I wanted to do much later. So mm-hmm. I ended it, and then. Jumped ahead a year and kept it going. Okay. Now, if you had can't, um, yeah, for me, I have no idea. Like, 
Uh, I just start a campaign and I just see where it goes. I have no idea how long. I don't even like for a month. Eh, I don't know. Uh, for the most part, you know, the Wild Towns campaign we started in January and we're still doing it. Um, and I have no idea how long. I mean, I know how long this next tier is going to be here and even tier I'm getting from D and D. We I've sort of broken up. See, for me, for campaign design, that's another thing that's sort of crept up since the New World, which is breaking parts of the campaign into different tiers, like. You know, first we first really did that in the New World campaign where we had, you know. Heroic, Paragon, and Epic. Yeah, yeah, Heroic, Paragon, and Epic. Uh, and that sort of changed the themes and, the, you know, abilities and challenges and everything else. Um, but, and I'm sort of doing the same thing with the new new Arcadia game, which is unusual, well, I guess. Not giving anything away, we, f- we actually did save the world for the first time. Right. Um, and which I wondering, do we get a badge or a merit badge or something? You get an achievement. Oh, we get an achievement. Yes. How many achievement points that buy nothing? Uh, 100. Oh, God, that is awesome. Yes. Um, well, I mean, in the, in the No Evil campaign, we got dead canaries. That's true. Yeah, so. Yeah. Uh, that was but, very clever, by the way. Yeah, that was. Uh, we're, we're making oblique references that you guys don't know about for years because I'm a jerk. Uh, monster. Yes, I'm a monster. So. For uh, so it, for campaign design, I never know when it's going to end. Now we've had I've had campaigns that uh, the reason I'm bringing this up is because a lot of campaigns they just kind of die out, and you're kind of like fuck it, because that's the thing of why closure is so important. Because so many campaigns I think just you know fade out or they 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 end before their time, and so you never find out if you you know save the world or you know I had that hunter campaign that, w- that was based on Sl- Slenderman. There was never any closure on that, so we never got to stop. Slenderman or anything I like that. I just assume we won. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, it's Slenderman, Tom. How? Why would you assume we that? We survive. No. Why would you assume that? This is Slenderman. Again, this shit is real. Haven't you watched Marble Hornets? Because we're awesome, Ross. Well, you are delusional. Like, see, well, now, I've never actually seen Slenderman kill anyone, okay? Well, he makes people disappear, Tom. They could be in a better place, Ross. I have really, a place. You really think that? No, but it's possible. Actually, haven't you watched? If you watch Marble Hornets, you know he drives people mad enough so that they kill other people. So yeah, I, I saw the murder. Yeah. Oh no, we're spoiling Marble Hornets for you guys. Well, if you haven't, if it's been up for a couple of days, if you don't haven't watched it by then, it's your fault. It's actually, weeks by now. I mean, I think oh, it's yeah. forty-eight or forty-nine. Fifty. Well, no, no, forty-eight or forty-nine actually had the murder in it. Yeah. Fifty didn't have the murder in it. No. So, but it had more shit. It had more shit. So yeah, we're, we're off topic. Yeah, oh my and, and 50, God, yeah, something happened. Yeah, something happened. You should watch it and find out. So, you know, the campaign, you always have that fear that you're going to never be able to finish the story you're telling. So, oh, I, I, I kind of use that as an incentive to try to, you know, to do everything I can to make sure that doesn't happen. I mean, has that happened to you? I mean, yes. Oh, yes. I have had campaigns that, and I, really, it's me that it's usually responsible for that. Really? Because, uh, you know, what I think, I, when I come up with a campaign, I think, oh, this is going to be a great idea. And then after, like, three or four sessions, I realize, like, over, I want it over. You know, like, yeah, you know, I had a Well, group. why would you want it over? Well, mainly it's because I come up with a kick-ass way to, you know, start things off. Like, mm-hmm. first, well, first I have my idea. Yeah. Then I come up, like, oh, this awesome way to kick-start all this shit. Yeah. But then it's once, again, I introduce too much shit too early. Yeah. And at that point... Now, uh, now I really, really want to get onto this other stuff, but I can't because I have to cover all this stuff, and I'm really tired of this stuff. That's a problem. And it's it is excavated by the fact that my other group is kind of a they they're leisurely role players, right? 
So the stuff that, that needs to be resolved often isn't resolved in a timely manner. Mm. So when I realize that it's going to be another three sessions before we finally get all this shit over with, mm. and I don't, it's like, and frankly, at this, there's points like, I just don't care anymore about that stuff that was happening before. I want to move on to this stuff. But I can't just end it because that would kind of be like, oh, it's cop out, it's over, it's all over. Yeah. <laughs> so what happens? How do you resolve it? I pretty much just say, uh, does anyone else got anything? Because, uh, yeah, uh, I'm done. You're done. You, you just want to, you, you've canceled the show. Yeah, that's pretty much, I said, well, I'm a little more apologetic with them, obviously. It's, it's like, hey, guys, I, I just kind of, my, the best line I use, I kind of wrote myself into a corner here. Mm. That, I pretty much use that every single time. Yeah, that's that's a common thing. I mean, that's what actually what happened with the Slender Man World of Darkness game. That's why I haven't posted them yet. Because it starts out pretty well, but by like four or five episodes, uh, sessions in, I can't remember how long it went, I kind of realized I wrote myself into a corner. I realized I didn't understand. I didn't understand the mechanics of Slender Man, or at least that, that I had created, I had pictured in the uh, then that World other game, of Darkness. Then that, that other game we did. Yeah, the one shot. Yeah, that was fucking awesome. Yeah, I, I revised it afterwards, and I, I came up with a new mechanic for him uh, to describe how he worked and everything. Because, uh, you know, again, as we mentioned horror games, you have to understand the mechanics of the monster um, because you can't just have him be in deus ex machina. You know, that, that shit's lame. Then you wind mm-hmm. up with a movie like they, which sucks. So, <laughs> Fuck, uh, seriously. It's like... We're like the only people who even mentioned that yeah. movie anymore. Like, everyone else has moved on. Everyone realized it's bad. Like, seriously, fuck, fuck you, Wes Craven. Yeah. So the, the, this is kind of the dilemma of running a campaign. The the the, the fear of like, oh my god, I'm going to do this and it's going to suck. It's going to turn into I mean, we're just wasted five sessions. But I mean that's a risk because otherwise, if you just run one shots, you're never going to have a great those you know those legendary sessions where you have ten you know sessions worth of killing the you know fighting you know. Going through the dungeon, then getting the dragon, killing and saving the kingdom. I mean, that's the kind of shit you you tell at Gen, you know, tell to other people at Gen Con years later, you know. And they're all like, "Yes, yes, yes, you killed the dragon. I don't give a fuck, you know, you know." But you're you feel great, yeah. So, uh, and it is all about you, yeah. Of course, that's yeah, exactly. Fuck, no doubt. It's like fuck everyone else. So. These kind of things you have to think about when you're doing a campaign. You have to think about like what rules you're going to be emphasizing, what kind of uh, how you want to stylize it by the by the rules, and then you have to think about the characters and then the um, plot point volume. Yeah, the plot point volume. That's a good way of putting it. Um, you know, the the main thing is you know you have to you know, design your campaign. Also, you know, as you mentioned earlier, the, design the campaign for the players. Individual, your players are very leisurely. They like role playing. They like individual. Yeah. So you, you have you, for you, I guess you. By now, you've learned not to throw out too many plot threads too early. Yeah, so but I, it's still. I mean, I'm still grateful for this. The group we have here because it is a completely different group. Yeah, and there's still. I still do not get used to it sometimes. Yeah, when I'm planning something for this group. Yeah, that's why I kind of think some of the stuff I run is a little hit and miss. Right. I think sometimes I nail it. And right. Sometimes. Yeah. But then, and then sometimes I like that forest fire game. Yeah, yeah, I know. another game I haven't posted. You know, yeah. Even I will say that's a turd. Yeah, um, and you know, we we all have bad sessions. I mean, I just don't post them. So you know, that's why everyone thinks we're so great. Ah, oh, oh, such crap do we have? <laughs> such crap do we have? Um, so the, the, these are the kind of things you have to think about when you're running a campaign. So the, hopefully this gives you guys an idea uh, about setting up adventures for the, based on your players. Think about the rules you're going to actually emphasize and <laughs> think about how 
dense you want the plot to be. You know, how quickly can your players get through the plot? How don't finish your plot threads, goddammit. You know, don't mm-hmm. don't keep introducing new material because that's such an easy cop out and that will just paint your paint your write yourself into a corner. I mean, I've almost done it several times, I think, with a new Arcadia, but I always restrain myself. Like now I don't even prepare for sessions because I just know like there's so much shit on the table, I'll just adjudicate what's going on. You know, like, Good all right, job. what 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 plot threads do you want to take care of? All right, your sister, all right, we'll take care of that. You know, we'll take care of the, that that story. All right, you know, fuck it, you know. Fuck yeah. Yeah. So and so that way it kind of helps out because once you get all the, the prep work out of the way, you can just like fuck it, sit back and relax and see the players go nuts trying to save the world. You know, you we're there to also entertain the GM. Yes, exactly. It's all about me. It's all about you, the individual person playing. Exactly. We're all selfish assholes. Yeah. Welcome to America. Yeah, so um, I think uh, we kind of well covered this. I think we did. All right. So if you have any other questions, about comments about this, um, we <laughs> are about adventure design, scenario design that we don't think we've addressed Please comment. We can do another one. Uh, we'll have try another. Episode. This is kind of a big topic. This is so. Um, we'll have another. I think our next episode we'll do something more horror since it is October and all that junk. Shall we have another horror episode, Ross? We yeah, we shall. Should. We shall we? We shall. Awesome. Um, and uh, next up, we Tom has another list of fictional firearms. Yeah. Yes, a different list that Ross will be commenting on. Yes, I noticed a lot of people were telling me stuff. You know, mistakes I made on the guns. Yeah. And thing, things that I should have put on the list. Well, these, you know, well. I'm not fine. editing the episodes, Tom. Ever. You shouldn't. Yeah. You better not. No, I won't. I, that would be work, so. Yeah, fuck. And I don't want you to work, Ross. Exactly. Thank you. I'm uh, here. I got your back. And then we'll have shout-outs and anecdotes more. Awesome. Yeah, we're back. I thought I'd do it this time. Oh my god, Tom. You threw me off. I'm mold discombobulated now. So yes, I have another list, another top ten list, because that's a it's a good psychologically pleasing number. The ten best dressed, ten most wanted, ten's a good number. Not on the internet. I've seen a like crack, you know, they do like six things that can the six things that could turn you into a zombie. Seven reasons why the world is going to die. Well shit shit like that. They they always do a weird number. All right. Be a so traditional. This, this list is, uh, you know, the last Be list I did was, yes, Ross, thank you. <laughs> the last list I did was my top 10 uh, cinematic firearms. Yeah. These are like real guns. Right. Well, this one is my, not, okay, this is my list, my top 10 favorite, my personal favorite list of fictional firearms. 
guns that do not exist. Yes. Except the, in the fervid minds of Hollywood and Yes. Well, I, like, this one like is us. movies and or video games is kind of what I'm doing with this one. Okay. So these are just my top ten. You may totally disagree with me, and some of these you might not have even heard so of. So no, no, no written ones? Nothing mm-hmm. like Roland's guns from the Dark Tower? No. Okay. This is just the guns I have seen with my eyes. Ooh. <laughs> so nothing from comic books? Comic uh, no, no. Okay. All right, let's go. Let's hear. Them. So, okay, number ten. This one's a little obscure. The time bomb launcher from Hudson Hawk. Now, I don't like. Yeah, the Bruce Willis remake. Yeah, or, or no, that was original. It, it was Bruce Willis was in it. Yeah, about the thief. The bad, the CIA bad guys in the movie at one point have them tied up. Like they knock them out, and they wake and they're tied up in this hotel room, and they bring out this rocket launcher type weapon. That shoots, it has rockets, but instead of exploding on impact, they stick to the walls and have, and have a timer on them. And all, wow. the bo- and all of the bombs are linked together on, to be on the same time, so they, they all go off at once. Wow. And this thing carries like 20 of them at a time. <laughs> okay. And so much, and uh, yeah, at one point, two of the bad guys, they fire, like, and one of the bombs sticks to the, one of the bad guys' heads. Yeah. And there's some pratfalls and comedies, they try to put, pry the bomb off. And then Bruce Willis and his partner take the rifle and use it against the bad guys at the end. I see. And it had no name. And yeah, some of these are also just things, my 10 favorite that I will remember forever. And that is one of them. A time bomb launcher. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. You watched that movie. You're admitting that in public. I own that movie, Ross. I'm admitting that. VHS? DVD. Oh my God. It was $4 at Best Buy. Oh my God. Yeah, I know. All right, let's proceed. Right? Yeah. All right. Number nine is from a video game, The Fat Man from Fallout Three. All right. Yeah. I I'm sorry. It's a miniature nuke launcher. Yeah. It's yeah. Your first two weapons aren't even guns. They're just fictional projectile weapons. No, they're guns. No, they shoot projectiles. That's they shoot projectiles. It's a handheld weapon that shoots projectiles. Is what I'm going for here, Ross. Explosive, not. You know, any. (laughs) Uh, See now that you are talking, I made a mistake of letting you do that. Yeah. See now that people have something else to comment about why you're wrong. I don't give a I don't give a shit. Ooh. I don't give a shit at all. All right. Fine. I think we're done with that one. You've yeah. said your piece. I know. Number 8. You're pretty good about it. Is uh this is from another some more obs- another obscure movie, the M1L1 Triple Pulse Assault Rifle from Deep Rising. Wow, yeah. Now this is a uh this same guy that did the Mummy movies. This was like an R-rated movie about a monster on a cruise ship. Well, the Mummy wasn't R-rated. No, but this movie was. Yeah, I know. And the the uh, the terrorists, the thieves on board that go to loot the ship have essentially rifle sized miniguns, is what these are. And I've actually memorized the you know, the well the commander is played by the same guy that did the Sphinx from uh, Mystery Men. He's probably done some other stuff, but that's what I mainly remember from Wes Studi was the guy's name. He and he's he's handing out these rifles. He's telling me. Yeah, he's telling all of, telling him that the stats of the weapon is like actually was thousand round capacity. Auto cooling, watertight, and he's handing out magazines that there is no way there is know, a, a thousand, thousand rounds is going to fit in here. And when they show this shell casings falling, these are not like tiny caseless shells. This is like these are rifle slug cases falling from these guns. It's an extra dimensional pocket is in that. Man. Yeah, it, and he you goes know, it's rotating rotating barrel, and it's complete overkill for what they're they're there to do, which is just take over a cruise ship and loot it. 
Yeah. Like, is it, you know, so of course they have like, we're packing, we're packing weapons. We'll also kill monsters just on the off chance that they're there. Yeah. Well, yeah. But is, and the thing is, I've seen that same weapon used in even more ridiculous B action movies. Oh, they kept reusing it. Yeah. And as I, I can't, cannot remember the prop title. departments, you whores. But I'll say, I will, cannot remember the name of the movie where I saw them, but Carl Weathers was in it. <laughs> that's really not narrowing it down. No, but that's all I remember about this movie. I saw it. <laughs> and that gun. And that gun. Did I Carl will... Weathers use that gun? He used that gun. Was it Arrested Development? It was not. Oh. Because he's saw... in Arrested Development. Yes. But I saw that. Like, <laughs> I, will re- I will recognize this gun anytime I see it forever. You can make a soup out of that. Exactly. <laughs> okay, number eight, number seven. The EM-1 rail gun from Eraser. Oh, yeah. Uh Never mind that I've actually looked up the, this on you know, the IMDb gun weapons site. Yeah, and they, internet movie. And fight. they have a whole thing on this gun of how it is scientifically impossible that this gun exists. Never mind firing a slug at the, near the speed of light would cause a backblast that would essentially be like a small miniature half kiloton nuclear explosion. Did they actually say it went at relativistic speeds? No, the, the, I mean, it says it fires aluminum rounds at nearly the speed of light. That's what they say in the movie? That's what they say in the movie. Well, that's a relativistic speed, but yeah. yeah, yeah. Wow, that's... They say, first of all, the bullet would... They said the bullet would disintegrate upon instantly leaving the barrel. It would just be plasma coming out the other end. So hey! It would be like a steam gun at that point. Well, it's plasma. That's but pretty... the back blast would essentially tear you apart. <laughs> nice. Yeah, it... But, of course, there's a scene of Arnold bursting up through the floorboards, With... grabbing two of them. Yeah. And like, oh, like, Jesus fucking God. I mean, railguns are possible, but not like that. Well, the one where Arnold's like, says, the smallest version I ever heard of was mounted on a battleship. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Wow. You remembered that. I remembered that movie. Wow. I've memorized that movie, Ross. <laughs> I'm not surprised. I am, I am a terrible nerd. <laughs> I mean, Ghostbusters, I can understand memorizing that. Yeah. But, I mean, that's... Okay. That's, that's Moving not on. even the best no. Schwarzenegger film. No, it's not, but I will remember Maybe that gun. the best Schwarzenegger film of the 90s. <laughs> yeah, but it had that gun. It did have that gun. All right, number six, the M40, a, M41A1 pulse rifle from Aliens. Oh, yeah, This Classic. is This is actually a good fictional weapon. Oh, yeah. And no a shit. realistic No doubt. Oh, my God. And because what I like about it, I mean, it's, a, it's like, you know, the movie takes place in like 22-something. Yeah. So it, it has, you know, the caseless ammo. It looks, it looks like a futuristic weapon built on a budget. That's yeah. what I liked. Yeah. I mean, the paint was scuffed, and uh, it fired advanced, advanced ammo, but it looked like this weapon had seen action. Right. It wasn't, and wasn't just, you know, didn't ha- it didn't have pointless glowing shit where they didn't need glowing shit on it. Right. It wasn't chromed up. No. And also, that's another thing. I've never understood weapons that, light, that have lights glowing from them. That'd be very bad if you're trying to sneak around something. Yeah, no shit, no shit. You know, like if your entire squad's carrying guns that have LEDs on them, a lot more lit up than a rave party. Yeah, yeah. But no, that weapon. It's. I mean, I even I've even memorized the sound the gun makes when it fires. Yeah, no, it's a pretty distinctive sound. Yeah, James Cameron was uh, uh, always great at set design and the aesthetic of the scene of the look. I mean, he was he's a very meticulous director, and that's there's a reason why. <laughs> That shit looks is so you well known and yeah. remembered because you know yeah that's all that's what I love about aliens everything was futuristic but built on a budget oh yeah no um, I mean, wait was that James Cameron or is that Ridley Scott that was, that was James uh, James Cameron did aliens did aliens and Ridley Scott did the original right? Ridley Scott did the original yeah but anyway number five is also another weapon from aliens the M fifty six A two smart gun right once again and I'll it 
just badass looking weapon. Did you ever get the Alien Technical Manual? Yes. You do have yes, one? Yes, I do have it. Yeah, I remember reading parts of it, and they, they like, talked about how the pulse, the, the, the smart gun tracking software was so advanced that the, you know, some Marines encountered <laughs> some uh, enemy soldiers, and they shot them all, and they were all, all the shots were dead center mass, you know, perfectly shot, and that spooked the Marines so much they disabled it. You know, because they just didn't like the idea of it being so accurate. That so accurate that they would dull their skill. Yeah. So yeah. they, uh, yeah. But yeah, I mean, and also it was, it, you know, one of the best characters in the movie had it. Vasquez. From, oh, yeah. No My doubt. God, you know, she's, I mean, I'm actually going to reference a Riff's book here, if you don't mind. Sure. Uh, it's the Riff's Adventure Guide. Okay. Which Kevin Symbieta and, I, and some a couple other guys wrote. Basically building an adventure. And on, under the character archetype, the champion. Yeah. Like uh, she, uh, Kevin Samuel mentions that his favorite example of the champion was Vasquez from Aliens. So just the moment she screams "Let's rock" and opens up with that spark, yeah, yeah. you know she's got the goods. Right. So that, but that weapon, yes, I would. I've seen prop versions of it at yeah. conventions. That, oh yeah, so have I. Looks, you know, there are there are cosplayers. There are groups of them. Like you know, they're not as popular as like the Star Wars people. You know, with the Five O first or whatever. The Colonial Marines. Um, yeah, the Colonial Marines. Well, there's 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 the the Star Wars people. There's the uh, there's I know there's Ghostbusters organized, and then there's Colonial Marines. Yeah, mm-hmm. there's Colonial Marine cosplayers. I saw them at Dragon Con when I went in 2009. It was pretty yeah. crazy. So anyway, uh, honorable mention. It's not a it's not a carry weapon, but the the robot sentries from Aliens, which you have to get the director's director's cut. Yeah, yeah. Good shit. Yep. Anyway, number four, the alien pulse weapons from District 9. I oh, yeah. Yeah, I cannot unlike a weapon that when it hits someone, they burst like a water balloon. Yeah. I'm, I cannot do it. And I think actually, it was really smart of them to do that because it was a way to actually save money. Yeah. Because it's a lot easier just to blow a, blow a dummy apart. It's a yeah. lot cheaper to do that than... You know, do complex CGI disintegrations. Yeah. I, and it... And it made the weapons memorable, especially the first... I mean, you know, Vickers is the first person to kill someone, and he didn't mean to do it. Right. And the other aliens, like, I thought you told... We said we were going to kill him. Like, it's like, well, you shoot him. He had a gun at me. <laughs> I love... Just the... Just the even, he, you know, he fires it's to save his own life, but even he's, like, shocked out of his mind about how powerful these things are. Oh, yeah. And what, else, what I also love about them, they look alien, but once again, they look like something was mass-produced. Right. It's not a work Functional. of art. Yeah. Functional, but alien. I like that. Right. All right, number three, the crotch cannon. This is can be from Desperado and or from Dust Till Dawn. Oh yeah. If you were uh, Robert Rodriguez, Tom Savini was playing Sex Machine and from Dust Till Dawn had a cod piece, you know, thing that lifted up and he had a like a pistol, you know, pistol barrel and two uh, speed loader wor- speed loaders worth of ammo in this. Yeah. And I mean, it was. I mean, in Desperado, he shows or never uses it, but Sex Machine uses it in From Dust Till Dawn. Right. And. A crotch cannon. Seriously, it. What I saw, like, really, I, I was like, a crotch. Oh my god, that is so stupid yet so brilliant at the same time. <laughs> All right, I there. swore it. Like, it was such a good idea. It almost broke the universe for me. <laughs> really, I mean, it was completely unfunctional. It would never work. But yeah. just the idea that they thought of it and decided to put it together. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Good job. Honestly, I prefer the in Desperado. Um, the original, at least, the guitar case machine gun. Yeah, yeah. That we could go ahead and mention. They're not on my list, but definitely worth mentioning those. Yeah. 
Well, there's the rocket launcher and the two suitcase machine yeah, guns. Yeah, I like the suitcase machine gun. That seemed more practical. The rocket launcher just seemed a little a little over the top. But the machine mm-hmm. gun, yeah, I could see that. You could put a lot of ammo in it. Uh, yeah. Gar- gar- just it'd be simple. really strong to carry it, and the recoil would be ridiculous. But it'd be a good way to suppre- lay down some suppressing fire. Yeah. So it'd be inaccurate as shit, don't get me wrong. But, but it, well, those kind of weapons, it's, they're built for spraying. Right. So anyway. Anyway, number two, Deckard's gun from uh, Blade Runner. Right. I felt I would be killed if I didn't mention this gun. Right. Because, because, yes, I remember the first time I ever watched Blade Runner was with you at the Midnight Show at the Palace. And I remember I hated it. I hated that movie. I know. That's when I, you were all Philistines. You didn't and, uh, Josh, get it. Josh Yates was with us then, yeah. I think. That, yeah, that's his name. That was the one time we were in sync because we were both like, no, I'm sorry. Well, it was the, actually two times we were both as Blade Runner and A Clockwork Orange. Frankly, I've watched those again since, and they were much better to me than other times. Yeah. Maybe I was too young at the time. Yeah, you were. I was a teenager then. I was too. Yeah, but you were also Ross Payton. I know. Yeah, horrible monster. Anyway. But that, I remember that, I loved his gun. Yeah. Because it was just futuristic enough to look like it belonged in 2019. Yeah. But just functional enough to know, like, you you didn't spend a fortune on that. Yeah. It's just a gun you got. Yeah. And once again, it had the LEDs, which, you know, maybe it would work better in an urban setting where there's actually lots of lights. So it was yeah. a good urban gun. Yeah. Um, one thing I liked about it, uh, it's in Fallout, it's in several of the Fallout games. Yeah. Well, um, both, I think, the, the the original two, and I think... And it's, one, well, it's in New Vegas. In I mean, New Vegas. It's, it's just called That Gun. That Gun. Um, and it uses two twenty three ammo, the same as an M16. Yeah, I, I remember, you know, uh, it's .223. .223. It's rifle rounds, yeah. The M16 yeah. is a 5.56. Well, that, that's... But same. it's a rifle. It, it's, well, 5.56 millimeter. It's a pistol that fires a That's rifle. equivalent to 223. It's a pistol that fires a rifle round. Right. Yeah, I remember that. There's only one of them in Fallout 1. Okay. In Fallout 2, it's a lot more common. Yeah. Uh, and, and it's not in Fallout 3. Right. But, yeah, Fallout New Vegas, they have it in that, too. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, it's a very distinctive gun. I liked it, too. Uh, and it's one of the more powerful weapons in the game. Yeah. I used it in Fallout One. I used it in Fallout Two all the time. Yeah, until I got until I got the uh, Bozar cannon, which was the well, machine yeah. gun that fired that. Right. But yeah, that's it. Had to be on the list. Sure. Just, and number one for me, an oldie but goldie, the BFG nine thousand. Now I am talking about the Doom video game, okay. not the movie. Okay. Well, I mean, actually, actually, okay, I'll say this: the Doom movie was bad. Uh, no question there. They actually had the gun in it, but he never hit anything with it. Yeah. You know, it was fired, I think, three times, and all three times, two or three times, and each time it hit wall. Well, thank God for that. We know this thing can kill walls, just dead. It was but, a very bad movie. Yes, but the BFG 9000, and I'm more talking, not Doom 3, just this is the original Doom game. Because, first of all, we were teenagers when we played it, and when we realized, oh, wait, that's. Big fucking oh my god that, that game is dirty. Yeah. Okay, it wasn't quite as a, ner- a teen nerdgasm as the original Duke Nukem 3D. Well, in the original Dooms, it was BFG when you actually got it was a great escape button, you know, yeah. for get out of jail free car. Like oh shit, I'm surrounded. Ah. Well, and the thing is though, and it wasn't even uh. it wasn't even in the uh, first you know that the demo which was like episode one. Yeah. You had to get the actual game to get the plasma rifle and then the BFG 9000. Yeah. Which is why I mean everyone played the crap out of the first demo version. 
I knew he loved it. You know, the rocket launcher, the mid- Gat- it was like, ooh, a Gatling gun that was even yeah, yeah, cooler yeah. than Wolfenstein 3D. But then when we actually get, plunk down the money for the, uh, the game, when we get into uh, his number was Knee Deep in the Dead, The Shores of Hell, which was the yeah. second one, when you could first. I never get, played him that much. I remember. Yeah. When you, you, when you, you, the Shores of Hell campaign, I forget the level, but when you pick that thing up, what the hell is this? Like, and I love it. It says, you, like, you got the BFG 9000. Oh, yes. <laughs> and the first time you pulled the trigger on that son of a bitch, you remember. It's kind of like the JFK assassination. You know what you thought the first time you fired that. I yeah. Know. Yeah, and to me, that is probably the best fictional gun I saw that was early enough in my life that it really made a difference. Yeah. So to me, that to me is the best fictional firearm. The yeah. BFG 9000. The big fucking gun. Yeah, no shit. Oh, ID software, you are such geniuses. All right, and with that, we will be back with some uh, shout-outs and anecdotes. Nice. And we're back. And uh, so we got some shout-outs here. Um, I have some, so I'll just get through that. Well, Tom, you had one. Why don't we yeah, I actually... Re- well, actually, yeah. We're good. Yeah, I'll start off. Yeah. I recently bought a box set Yeah. of uh, an old old favorite show of mine from Nickelodeon. Yeah. Yes, I know. Child. Uh, the Adventures of Pete and Pete. Yeah. Uh, I loved that show because it was funny in a way that I still find funny. Yeah. It was actually... A, it was a rare show that had excellent jokes. Jokes that a kid could laugh at and actually an adult could laugh at at the same time. Yeah, it was a little surreal, you know. Yeah, you know, kind of like, like you know, um, like all the parents, like all talking to each other, part of the international adult conspiracy. Right. Where they're sharing ways they make their kids go to bed earlier. Right. And, you know, the younger Pete's hacking in, trying to figure out what the purpose of bedtime is. Right. It, because, but they, they make it such a spycraft thing. Right. And this was like the early, early 90s when this was out. So, um, And then there was, uh, what was his name? The World's Strongest Man? Artie. Artie. The, Artie. World, the Strongest yeah. Man in the World. Strongest Man in the World, yeah. Or uh, Pete's Tattoo. Yeah. Um, Mom's Plate. Right, right, right. All yeah. that stuff. Great good, stuff. Good stuff. Um, I am going <coughs> to start off with um, Com Trues, which he's a DJ, electronic artist, electronic musician, um, who has a video that I'll be linking to, and um, it's basically pure 80s, like, synth-style, like, movie music. I mean, it sounds like some from some 80s cyberpunk movie, and, like, the music video is pure 80s homage to Blade Runner, and, you know, mentioned mm-hmm. that already, uh, and all these other <laughs> stuff, you know, Commodore 64s and laser tag shit. I mean, it's it's great stuff. Um, it's very mellow, very chillax. I actually bought the album, uh, whopping $10 for the digital nice. album. So, uh, yeah, Calm Trues. So, um, you had a mo- another mo- a movie you wanted to mention. Do I? Yeah. I'll, uh, well, you were, it was one I wanted to see. Wow, I'll, I Sell the Dead. Oh yeah, that one. Yeah. yeah, I sell the dead. It's uh definitely it's it's bloody and gory, but it's more of a comedy, obviously. Yeah. About uh like the the adventure of these two guys, two grave robbers. Right, the resurrectionists. Corpses. So medical people yeah. can and, uh, uh, dissect but, them. I mean it's got some great people like Angus Scrim, I don't know if anyone knows who he is. Yes. The tall man from Boy. Phantasm. 
Yes. Still creepy, even in his 80s now. Well, yeah, I think the age would increase the creepiness. Yeah, but he's in that playing, you know, like obviously playing a fiddle as he's looking at this corpse. And, it, and they keep running across, I think you'd like, because they keep running across different kinds of zombies. <laughs> yeah. You know, and every time, and the thing is they get utterly used to the fact they're digging up undead. Yeah. You know, so I mean, the first time it freaks them out, but later there's like, like, oh, biter, hold, hold that one down. Come on. Yeah. Nice. And uh, um, it has what it, and there's this other clan of other grave robbers that I'm not gonna say, I'm not gonna say, but the scene it's a scene on a beach. Nice. And that's one of the funniest scenes I've seen in a long time. Uh, we'll have to watch it. I'll yeah. have to see that. Um, I want to mention um, first. Um, I recently got a Kindle. Um, the refurbished ones are pretty cheap, and I've started experimenting. <coughs> you know, getting getting some new stuff, and I found two eBooks that I've liked so far. I finished one. Um, Called ZNA, speaking of zombies, um, which is a short novella. It's a 99 cent novella about a guy who survives a zombie apocalypse. And it's, you know, he uh, is a delivery truck uh, driver and he goes home and he's one of those survivalist nuts. So he has a, you know, fortified basement. He survived for six months and shit gets worse and worse and worse. And it's, it's, a, it's a fun narrative. It was only 20,000 words. So it was a very quick read. Uh, I read it on the way back to KC. Uh, nice. We went to the KC Royal Barbecue Festival. Uh, a couple week last weekend, so oh, uh, uh, by the way, he came in third place out of seven hundred and fifty entries. Damn! Now you tried that chicken and the ribs? Yeah, and- no, it was delicious. It was ridiculous. Um, Man's an artist. He is uh, a hog father. <laughs> so many pig puns. Um, so, anyways- oh, wait, okay, actually, this is off the top. I think we need to mention the name of that name of one team. Yeah. Slaughterhouse Five. Yes, um, I don't know. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I'm not. I, they probably don't have a website, but yeah. The, when we went to this barbecue festival, 700 teams were competing. It was up in Kansas. And this City. was like from around the world. The best. Yeah, barbecue and they was. so many of these teams had like ridiculous pun pun names like, based like, on cows or ho- especially like hogs. reservoir hogs. Reservoir hogs. Slaughterhouse Five. You know, um, and and just on and on and on and on and on. And I was just <laughs> thinking, if you're going to do that. You should make your name based on something totally unrelated, so people would remember you. Know, like Penguin Barbecue. What does penguins have to have to do with barbecue? Nothing. But now you remember that there's Penguin Barbecue <laughs> or Duckbill Platypus or Geodesic Dome Barbecue. Like they're not even edible. It's a rock, but you know, hey, <laughs> Dyson we'll... Sphere Barbecue. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's a little abstract. You can't go too high with the barbecue fans. I think they're kind of a little more salt of the earth types. I don't know. So, oh, really? Yeah, I think Dyson Dice... Dyson Sphere is a little obscure. Rusty Tom. Water Pump Barbecue. <laughs> that's a little. You don't want to eat someone who makes. Yeah, I don't. Oh, I want barbecue from Rusty Water Pump. Like, there's like penguin is. They're you know they're like innocuous. Like Rusty Water Pump. You're like I'm going to get a disease from that you know um that's so, why i'm not in advertising yeah so anyway so zna that's a good novella uh and then another one that i've just started it's a full novel called shadow of a dead star and it's a sci-fi horror uh novel or the te- police procedurals sci-fi like set in the near future and it's about a detective who is sent on a case to find uh to i've just started he has to intercept just to give you an idea of what it's like he has to intercept um these princess dolls from wonderland wonderland is the nickname for uh this place in the asia where they have all these black market laboratories cybernetic laboratories and princess dolls where they take a a a street kid a street you know a girl straight off the streets fill her cybernetics to make her basically a pleasure you know rip out her brain and put in electronics and make Mm -hmm. her basically a mindless pleasure drone 
uh, droid, something like that. So like, you know, very evil, dark stuff. So yeah. it's two ninety nine. So if you're into dark sci-fi, it's been called, I haven't gotten to Lovecraftian parts, but some people compare it to Lovecraft. So, you know, I'm, I'm in. So, uh, <laughs> Ross is all in. Yeah. So that, uh, <laughs> you might want to check those out. Um, and the ZNA, if you like zombies, it's 99 cents. So if you have a candle, why not? Um, then a uh, couple web comics uh, on the web comic front. Uh, one I found is called Delilah Dirk, and it's a adventure. It's a it's a great art. It's about uh, an adventuring uh, woman swordsman swordswoman uh, who is starts out in Constantinople or Turkey, and she picks up this uh, uh, is. It's a very convoluted kind of thing. It looks it's a very European comic in like in the sense of like Tintin uh or Asterix or something like that. I it's a it's just just flip through and look through the art. I mean, Jesus, it's 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 amazing. It's like okay. incredible art. Um so I don't want to spoil it because it's just ridiculous. So it's fun and it's a quick read so far. Uh next up is Monster Pulse, which is basically um it's just started. It's a, got a very short archive, and it's basically kids uh have a part of their body turned into a monster that is bonded to them. Like the main character's heart, uh, she's a girl and her heart turns into a monster. She's still alive, but the monster's outside of her and it's still walking around. So she's still alive, but her heart is literally now a monster, a creature. And so uh, there's another character whose hair is a monster now. So she's bald. So, um, and of course there's an evil government conspiracy that is now, you know, trying to hunt them down and capture them and all that. Monsters and other childish things. Yeah, exactly. Literally like you can, I mean, not literally, not based on it directly, but it's as pure of a monsters and other childish things concept. uh, You could get without, you know, just calling it that. So, and finally, I know I've mentioned this before in the show, but Hark a Vagrant, uh, which is a webcomic about historical figures, uh, Nikola Tesla and all these other stuff, um, and other various things. It, very, <laughs> very, very funny. One of the funniest web comics on the internet. Uh, has a print collection coming out called Hark a Vagrant. And so order that because it's good. And Ross says so. Well, it's, it's funny stuff. I mean, you should at least read Hark a Vagrant. Do you read Hark a Vagrant? No. Oh, my God. But I will. You will. Good. Because it's fucking awesome. But not because you told me to. Oh. Well, no. Don't care. Don't. Doesn't matter what I say. It's just great. It's. How how much of that hurt? You're only hurting yourself if you don't read it. Wow. How much of that hurt, Ross? To say, (laughs) like, you don't have to do it because I said so. Oh, my. That's how much. How important it is to me. It's not about me. It, it, It really is just about how great that comic is. Your nostrils are flaring. I know. <laughs> I have allergies. Uh, so finally, uh, we have anecdotes and um, couple things uh, in the in. I just want to mention the. I do want to mention the Eclipse Phase game. The last Eclipse Phase game we played. We're playing No Evil campaigns going on. Um, in the previous session, uh, there was a big battle with Exurgence. Uh, several characters yeah. died. And if you read the posts on the website, you know that yeah, yeah. I died and Aaron's character died. Uh, but we retrieved his cort- Aaron's cortical stack. Mine not was yours. corrupted. Yeah, so you had to be restored from backup, so you didn't remember anything. So I like the antidote because it just leads to, it led to this hilariously awkward conversation where we restored you from backup as an info life, you know, basically a virtual character in a simul space, a virtual reality environment. So I make a coral reef that's very nice and pleasant. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and I, 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 I kind of wake up, you know, my usual cheerful self, like, like, it's like oh, like, Bartleby, hey, you look like you just went to a funeral. <laughs> what happened? Well, there's been some bad news. Like, like, I have good news and I have bad news. Yeah. And I said, 
Custom dictates you render the bad news first. <laughs> well, yeah, you died. Okay, okay. But we stopped the exurgence. Oh well, I was like, oh well, that that's good. Yeah, that's good. But you, we, you were corrupt. Well, you died. I actually, I, I actually spared you from the gory details that session because I didn't want you to freak out. More. To freak out because I wanted, I had an idea. You, there was, a, we were in a place that was synth morph heavy. Synth morphs are robotic bodies, um, so we could put your mind in a in a body. We wouldn't be able to get you an organic body. Uh, but we would be able to get you a robot body. But there was one company that built a, uh, uh, an octopus robot body. So I mainly for uplifts who want who have to go to a synth body. Right. Synth- so I wanted you to ask them to do a sponsorship so you get a discount on it, uh, and that way you would have a body to work with uh, cheaper than normal. So I didn't want you to get freaked out so you'd be off your game when you negotiated that. So next session, I'll be like, yeah, I, you know, uh, sorry about this, but I shot you in the head, and I'd do it again. Which, and with knowing me, that's the point, like, you did the right thing. Yeah. You want to hug her and be like, no. No, I it's can't. Like, like, don't touch me. No, actually, I, I might be doing, <laughs> well, you're, yeah, you're in a synth morph body right now, so I couldn't read your mind or anything, so... Um, but yeah, I'd be like, I came from a bad place. I do bad things when like, I get threatened. Like, we all have our crosses to bear, my friend. <laughs> uh, like, but what was hilarious about it, though, was that Aaron's character lost almost all of sanity. He was down to literally two points. And so he picked a permanent disorder, in which was manifested as a guilt complex for letting, of letting you. He, he feels <laughs> responsible for letting you die. So the entire session, he was like, I'm sorry. And I'm, like, I'm, I'm like hugging him. Yeah. I'm like, it's like, no, dude, like, no. It's not your fault, man. It's not your fault. Yeah. So like whispering to him, trying to. Yes. And he, he, we gave him a new robot body. And what's funny is it got blown up that you know, in the second yeah. game, too, for reasons that because. We recovered like, him, though. Yeah, we recovered his cortical stack again. So uh, that was funny. Uh, but he, he handled that a little better. Um, no, but I like our interaction because we, yeah. it's like we, we're like now a team that's been together a long time. Yeah. And uh, so we're all crazy in our own way, but we're used to each other's madness. Yeah. So much so that we can just, oh, uh, like, yeah, Bartleby's having a bad day. I'm just going to let yes. him blow off some steam and bullets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, when I get pissed, people die. Uh, like, well, uh, just, well, be sure to do it outside. Actually, this is not that. It's my character, I feel, um, because he's, he, his ba- background feels like whenever it's threatened, he just goes into a, a survival mode where nothing else matters than survival, and you know, mm-hmm. no matter what. Uh, so, uh, we can get into later. So yeah, so that's the Eclipse Phase game. game. Now the new Arcadia game, uh, we're yeah. playing uh, yeah. is coming to the end of the second tier. Uh, and, the- uh, there's some hilarity there too. Yeah. Like I, uh, I got a great moment by asking a dumb question with yeah. it. They got a really great answer. Yeah. Uh, there's the, the kind of, without really revealing too much, the gathering of superhumans is, un- metahumans is underway. Yeah. They're having a big blowout party to throw, you know, start off their festivities. Yeah. And Kyrop gets involved with some, you know, super showing techniques of flying. Right. And the star of that group thing going on was this humanoid pterodactyl, fucking brilliant, that raw that was named Terry. Yeah. Another brilliant thing. <laughs> yeah. And so Kyrop kind of has, you know, he a lot of people like him. Others kind of look at him as a sellout or a government stooge. Right, because he made a deal and he had to beat up a bunch of protesters and stuff like that for the government. Yeah. So I round you know, up illegal immigrants. So you know, I'm getting. You He's know, a thunderbolt. But I've done some good stuff, and we did just save the world. So that you know, that that was kind of helping me out. But so I decided to, well, might as well show off my stuff. And so I started to compete with this guy, and we were literally tying every single time. Yeah, I mean, doing all of us doing phenomenally. Yeah, 
but we kept tying. And then at one point I asked, uh, I was like, how old does this guy look? And uh, it was Caleb, I believe. It was no, it was Thad. Thad had a great line, like, I don't know, make a paleontology check. Yeah. <laughs> and that was like, yeah, you get a point for that. Yeah. It's like, how the hell are you going to, I was thinking the same thing. It's like, how are you going to tell Tom? He's a pterodactyl. You don't, it's not like you can. But you know. let's just, oh, by the end, right, we're, we're great friends now. Yeah, yeah. So um, that's the way Kyra. And the other the great part about that session is, you know, there are, people are found out that the the players have all saved the world from a giant asteroid. They blew it up, uh, saved the day when all you know uh, Armageddon on them. Um, yeah, but. Aaron uh, <laughs> flew around, and there was a rock concert going on, and went on stage and found out he had, you know, really devoted fans, fangirls. That's weird. Well, when you save the world, that tends to happen. Yeah. People, women were throwing his pa- panties at him. They were flashing like, him, and Aaron was just, you know. It was, it was kind of like greeting Iron Man from the second movie. Yeah, except it was Aaron <laughs> playing it, so he was mortified and embarrassed. Yeah. <laughs> and it was hilariously awkward. Uh, when he went to a robotics uh, uh, dis- exhibition, they were showing off the, the latest in robotics. Uh, I found it. He still had, you know. Groupies. Adv- yeah, groupies. Uh, yeah, the, that there were people cosplaying as him. You know, women who were cosplaying as him. As sexy versions, you know, bare midriffs and everything. And again, he was like, uh, I'm going to fly away now. You know, it was. Yeah, I, I was. everyone was having a great time but him, it seemed. No, he was having a good time. He was just playing, <laughs> I think. Um, so it was, it was a, a great... We're hoping at one point he's going to have sex in the yes. game. Uh, <laughs> it turned into a John Hughes movie all of a sudden. <laughs> uh, you know, American Iron Man, too, you know. <laughs> uh, so, American Robot Suit. We'll, we'll go, you know, well, if we were all in custody, it could have been like The Breakfast Club, except the principal is like the hit. Yeah, Some exactly. FBI agent. Yeah. So... Like, like coming stormy in there, I heard a ruckus. Like, yeah. Can you describe this ruckus? Exactly. <laughs> So we uh, so that's kind of an update of what the campaigns are currently at. Uh, like um, we're moving upwards and onwards. So uh, I think that kind of wraps that about it. I think so. it does. So uh, this has been episode sixty four, uh, adventures in adventuring. <coughs> and uh, next time we'll have some more stuff about horror ca- campaigns and that kind of thing. So uh, it's gonna be great. Yeah. Happy uh, ha- Happy October, people. Yep. Uh, this is Ross Payton and, we'll, and Tom. We'll see you next time. If you want to listen to it, Audible has it. With over 85,000 titles in virtually every genre, you'll find what you're looking for. Get a free audiobook and a 14-day trial today by signing up at www.audiblepodcast.com slash roleplaying. That's www.audiblepodcast.com slash roleplaying. And one last time www.audiblepodcast.com slash roleplaying. Thank you.